bless it and make it fruitful. And I ask that you would bless John as he gives his message today in spirit and in truth, God, that we would glean from it what you have for us and we would use it going forward for the rest of our lives. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm sorry for those that woke up this morning coming to church thinking Dr. Allen was preaching. But I'm glad you're here. Um, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Um, as you're turning there, let me tell you a story. Um, a couple years ago, Dr. Allen pulled us, uh, some of us young guys, to, I say young, I'm 40, um, <laughs> pulled us to the side and, and uh, was teaching us how to preach. Uh, one Tuesday morning, you remember John Seth Sammons, who we ordained a couple weeks ago, we were at his his uh, little apartment at, at the Baptist College of Florida, and he's breaking down Revelation chapter 2 about the church at, at Ephesus and talking about how uh, this one thing the Lord has against them, that they had left their first love. And he uses this illustration as he's teaching us how to preach, and um, he talks about how when him and Miss Heather were, were dating, he would do anything just to be around her. <coughs> She'd say, Richie, do you want to go to the ballet? And he said, well, of course I'd like to go to the ballet. <laughs> you know, and then when you're married for 30 years and she asked him to go to the ballet, what's his answer now? <laughs> and I remember him saying that as an illustration. And this is how the Word of God speaks to you still. Right? It wasn't just written 2,000 years ago and God spoke. He's still speaking to us through His Word. And just so happened later that day, what I was going through, I had uh, decided to build my wife an entertainment system for Christmas. Only problem is, this is February. Okay? What had happened, what had happened is word got out that I was building an entertainment system, and so her sister Becky wanted one. Then, uh, then the, the church needed one, and so I had to build three of them. And so guess who got theirs last? My wife. And um, so the church had it there. Becky had hers for Christmas. February, Becky comes over that same day. This is that, I had, that morning. Tuesday night, Becky walks in and she says to Sarah, Oh, I can't wait to see your entertainment system. She goes in there and she stops. She looks at the living room. She turns around at me. And you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks through people, by the way. <laughs> Usually it's the voice of your wife, not your sister-in-law. But this is what she said. John. And just the look of disappointment on her face. She said, if that was for anybody else but your wife, it would be done. And the word of God just hit me. Revelation chapter 2. Uh, this morning, I want to speak to you on the subject of when a man loves a woman. You know, somehow by God's, um, I don't know, grace is the word, or he tricked us into doing this. But somehow, me and my wife have become the, uh, the premarital counselors here at Grace Church. Okay? And there's not, a, there's not something more that I feel more a- inadequate for than this. And, and, and by the way, that's how God works. Whatever you think you're the least capable, that's what he's going to call you to do. And so, you know, there's people like Haley and Troy... And Leah and, and Rashad, we just did their wedding a few weeks ago. I feel like responsible if they get 
married and they have a terrible marriage, I'm going to like be upset. It's going to hit me hard. And, I, and then I remind me, myself of the truth. The truth is that every couple that I know has their fair share of ups and downs. Right? The, the, I'm looking at the people that have been married 30, 40 years, and you can, you can, you can kind of nod your head and agree that uh, marriage may not be all that you thought it was going to be. It wasn't quite what you were expecting. And, um, but this subject, it, it hits near and dear to my heart and my wife's heart. Um, when I was one years old, my parents got divorced. And, and, and the sovereign God of the universe allowed me to get married to a woman who, when she was one years old, her parents got divorced. Uh, and, and that is why we have a heart to see, especially young people, when they're first just getting out, getting started, and getting married, we have a heart to, to, to I don't want to say warning, but to help them understand what, what it, they're getting themselves into. All right? And what marriage really is. Um, and, 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 and I see Colin nodding his head over here because I told Colin and Katie, Colin, you're the biggest sinner you know. And Katie, guess what? You're the biggest sinner you know. So what do you think is going to happen when you take two of the biggest sinners that you know and you put them in the same household and then you start having these cute little kids that have sin natures? What do you think is going to happen? It's going to be hard. You're going to have some good times, but you're going to have some bad times. And, and, and what do we do to get through these bad times? So Grace Church, God intends for marriage to be in a microcosm, an expression of heaven on earth. And every bride and groom, we start with the same intention, but the only way that's going to happen if marriage is done God's way. Never has there been a couple who did it God's way who has been disappointed with the results. And before God ordained government, before God ordained schools, before God ordained the nation of Israel or even the church, God ordained the home and marriage. What that tells me is I think it's foundational to all the other institutions. It's foundational, meaning if we get marriage wrong, guess what's going to happen? Our churches are going to crumble. Our government's going to crumble. The very institutions of this country are going to crumble if our marriages are crumbling. And I think that's what's happening, the breakdown of the whole. I think that's what's the problem with our country. And the only way we can turn that around is by preaching what this book says and by God's people putting it into practice. Right? Right? And Grace Church, Satan knows this. So guess what his primary target is going to be? Your marriage. The Bible teaches that marriage is a permanent covenant relationship between a man and a woman totally committed for life. Now, there, and about, in, in the near future, a pastor saying that publicly and on a live stream, they might get in some trouble. You realize that, right? Every word is chosen very carefully. Let me read it again. The Bible teaches that marriage is a permanent covenant relationship between a man and a woman totally committed for life. Amen? Amen. Grace Church, are we going to stand on that definition? Right? What's, what Sarah and I do and we do premarital counseling is, is if that's true and marriage is for the rest of our life, then what do we need to do so we're not miserable for the rest of our life? Right? 
I don't know much, but this is what I know. God did not intend for marriage to be painfully endured. And the Bible says that he who finds a wife, he finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And if I'm honest, I had, I had no idea when I got married, we had no idea what we were doing because I had never seen a marriage that was a biblical marriage. And so what Sarah and I decided to do, since we had no idea what we were doing, let's just do what the Bible says. Maybe you are here this morning and you and your spouse, you just haven't been connecting well. Maybe your, your marriage is just miserable. Maybe a, a, a room this size, you know, I bet there's a couple in here that's probably fess, fussing on the way over. Right? And they get out of the car and then they just smile and they act like everything's okay as they come in. Been there. Maybe you're contemplating, you know what, the grass is greener over here. Uh, maybe you're here and, and, and you've, been, you've been through a divorce. And can I just say I'm sorry? I get it. My heart goes out to you because I know that's painful. Maybe you're here today and you're single and you're just like, ah, turn the volume down because this isn't for me. The Apostle Paul who wrote this, can I tell you, he's single. And you may not be single the rest of your life. And wouldn't it be useful to learn what God's word says so that you can set yourself, for example, and actually have some good times in your marriage, right? Paul teaches us what the spirit-filled Christian's home looks like. And he uses the three most common relationships, husband, a wife, and children, in and, and these verses. In chapter 6, he talks about children. So start with me in verse 23. As we read what happens when a man loves a woman. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we are parts of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, as for you individually, each husband is to love his own wife the same as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So Grace Church, according to the Bible, a man loves a woman when he sacrificially dies to self for her. Let's start in verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives. And then I want you to go ahead and underline the word as. All right. As also, as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Drop down to verse 28. 
So husbands also ought to love their own wives. And there it is, that word again, as. Paul's making two comparisons of, of, of the type of love, the high calling of love that we are to love our, li- our wives with. And it's as Christ loved the church and as much as we love our own body. And that's not hard for someone that's selfish like me who loves his own body. I feed it. I take care of it. It's just hard to love someone else like that. What does a woman need the most? You ever thought about that? Besides salvation, what, is the, what does a woman need the most? Heard it over here. Love. That's right. I would agree with that. I think Paul agrees with that. Some may say that they need security, that they need provisions. They need that their, their husbands to, to, to be the providers. And I think a lot of husbands think they are loving their wives the way God intended them to and fulfilling their responsibility as a husband as long as they get up early and go to work and work hard and bring home the bacon. But providing for her financially is not the priority. The priority is loving her. Paul is, is, is saying that the greatest need a woman has is to be loved. And it's not the Hollywood portrayal of love. It's why some of the most worst movies I can show my daughters is what Hollywood says love is. This, this feeling that, that goes away. It's, it's the biblical sense of the word love. And, and, and husbands and young men, it's, it's the word agape. The, it's, the, it's a word that means the type of love that you demonstrate and expect nothing in return. When's the last time you didn't have an ulterior motive on Valentine's Day? Agape love is the type of love that you demonstrate and expect nothing in return. It, it, it meets the needs of others regardless of what you receive back. Agape love is a, a, a demonstrative love. It is something that we do. It's a doer, right? Uh, if, if Sarah went to the grocery store to Walmart and, and got a bunch of van full of groceries, and she asked me to help her bring in the groceries... I can't be kicked back on the couch and say, I'm helping you while she's carrying all the groceries in. But that's what the same idea. When we just say, Sarah, I love you, but we don't get up and show it and do it, we're not really doing it. Does that make sense? All right. It's not a feeling. Love shows itself. The biblical word for love is a verb. It's something that you do. Let me give you an illustration. In Romans 5, 8, it uses that word agape again when it says Christ demonstrates his love, his agape, for us that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't demonstrate his love for us when we were worthy of his love. He didn't demonstrate his love for us when uh, we were... uh, He did it when we still had a a God-hating heart, Right? Not when we were worthy of it. We had a heart that wanted nothing to do with them. We, we were going our own way. We were in the world like sheep who have gone astray. And Jesus, thank goodness, didn't just say the words from heaven and stay seated on his throne. 
But he left the glory of heaven, came and made himself a man, humbled himself to the point of death where he let evil men spit on him and mock him and beat him and crucify him all to demonstrate that he loves you. You say, John, I tell her all the time. She knows I love her. That's great. You need to say it. But agape love is not more, uh, it's more concerned with what you do rather than what you say. Christ-like love is a Golgotha-type love. And you may say, but John, I, I, I do this and I do this and I get nothing back from her. Can I tell you, Jesus completely understands that. That's how the Lord loved us. While we were still yet sinners, while we had wanted nothing to do with him, he sacrificially laid down his life because, thank goodness, his love is an unconditional love. You know why we have so much problems? It's because our love is conditional love at times. His love is an unconditional love. Are you loving your spouse with a conditional love? Because that's not how Jesus loved you. And, I, and when I was younger, when, when I, I would think, you know, my wife, you know, this is in my pride, y'all. I'm not, I don't, I'm not, this isn't what I really believe. But in my pride, when I was younger, and we would have a little, me and my wife would have a little argument or not connecting quite. In the back of my mind, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm going to take her to my friend so-and-so. He's a terrible husband, so she can compare me to him. So we'll come back and she'll be like, thank God I didn't marry that guy. Right? Which is funny, but unfortunately, that guy's not the standard. It says to love your wife as Christ loved you. That's the standard. That's why I didn't want to preach this, because my wife, she knows me. And she knows I don't do this well, often. That I need God's grace. Has anyone ever loved somebody else more than Jesus Christ loved the church? Is there a greater love? Right? Jesus said no, no greater love is this than to lay down his life for his friends. How deep is it? How wide is it? Is there a higher love than Jesus' love for us? And how in the world am I supposed to love my wife like that? That's why I asked Miss Kaylin to read Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. Let me reread it. The, the NLT version, sometimes in my, my mind, it needs to be a little bit more simple than the NASB. So I hope Dr. Allen does it. Uh, think I'm a heretic by, by reading the NLT version. It's written on a level of a seventh grader is why I like it. And this is what it says. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And I pray from his, that from his glorious unlimited resources, you know he has the ability to give you what you need to do what he's commanded you to do. He will never give you a command that he won't give you the also empowerment to do, to obey. That... I, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. That's the key. 
then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is his love. May you, may you experience the love of Christ. Because as you experience the love of Christ, now you know what biblical love is so that you can start loving your wife the way he's called you to do. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. That's the key. If you're going to remember one thing I say today, it's this, that before you can fix this, before you can fix the horizontal relationships in your life, and especially the wife with your, your spouse, you have to fix this. You have to get this right. Be filled with the Spirit. Because when you're filled with the Spirit, guess what happens? Then you have the fruit of the Spirit. Overflowing in your heart. And so when, when he says something that, that annoys you, you have patience. So that you're able to do what the Bible says. A soft answer turns away wrath. Uh, you have a gentleness. You speak with a gentle spirit. So that way you're slow to get angry. You're, you're quick to listen. You're able to do what the Bible says when you're filled with the spirit. When you know how to walk according to the spirit. When you walk with Jesus. So dying to self for her means daily by the power that only comes from God. You lay aside your rights, your comfort, your pleasures, your time for the sake of your wife, putting her needs before your own needs. That's what it means to love her like Jesus. Loving your wife means satisfying her love tank. Satisfying her love tank. Verse 29, look with me at verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it. That's where I got the word satisfying. Nourish. The word nourish, it means to continually fill up. It's something that you continue to do. A present participle. It's not like, you know, you do it once. You're continually to do this. You're setting out every day to fill her love tank. Uh, there was a book that I read early on in our marriage. It was called The Five Love Languages. Anybody else read that book? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. The Five Love Languages. There's There's... Uh, he, the author talks about how men and women show love and how they receive love. And there's five main ways he boiled it down. Words of affirmation. Quality time. Gifts. Physical touch. And acts of service. Right? Those are your five ways. That, that, and I think I have married, she's a complex creature. I think she loves to be married in all five ways. Some, some ladies only want to be married preferably in one way. They, they, they feel loved when you love them in a specific way, right? When you, not when you just um, bring home flowers, but when you get up and do the dishes. She feels that the act of service makes her feel loved. That's what it looks like to, to fill her, her love tank. Every day you set out to fill her, her, her tank with words, maybe like by writing a little note and putting it under her pillow for her to find. Uh, maybe that's, that's words of affirmation. Maybe with a, a, a service. I, my wife has basically banned me from the washing machine because I, I ruined the clothes. But something else, I can do something that she normally does that just blesses her soul. An act of service. She loves it when I bring home presence that's the way i prefer because it's the easiest for me to just go buy something and she likes that 
But I think she prefers some of these other ways, right? Like, like physical touch. You know, when's the last time you gave your wife a foot massage? You know, with and one of one of the biggest ways, quality time. You can love your wife by coming home and putting your phone up and sitting down with her and looking her in the eyes and having a conversation where you connect emotionally. You get heart to heart with her, eye to eye level with her, and you ask her how your day was. And 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 the one reason why you you may want. You know, guys just want to kind of skip to the physical intimacy. But you, if you're not connecting emotionally, that's where the, the emotional intimacy, intimacy has to have that connection first. And it spills over into physical intimacy. Does that make sense? Y'all are smart. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Okay. Um, and I promise you that a wife who has a full love tank, it's going to have a rippling effect for you, husbands, Right? You know, she, she maybe can't stand to look at you right now. So what can you do? You can love her like Jesus. And, 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 and it's a continual thing. If you've made a mess of your marriage for the last five years, doing it once isn't going to help. But when you continually to start loving her like Jesus, you know what's going to happen? You make a pattern of loving your wife sacrificially, satisfying her love tank, and you're going to win her heart back. Because that's what Jesus' love did for each and every one of us. He pursued us, and he pursued us, and he pursued us until we surrendered and we said yes. Because he's meeting the greatest need that you have, which is to be loved. Not only does loving your wife mean satisfying her love tank, loving your wife means keeping the romance sizzling. My wife saw that. She goes, where are you going with this? Verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. That word cherish. That's where I got it from. The word cherish, it means to keep warm. To keep warm. Husbands, it's a flame in the romance in your relationship. Is it burning out? Guess whose responsibility that is? It's your job. To cherish. By nature, couples drift towards isolation. That's, where, that's why there's something called the, the seven-year itch. Anybody heard of that? After about seven years of marriage, you think, we've just fallen in love. We don't have a spark anymore. It's because by nature, if we're not cherishing our wives, things start going cold. And this, this means, husbands, we have to make an intentional effort to keep dating her is what that means. We need to keep pursuing her like Jesus pursued us. It means we initiate the hard conversations that no one wants to have. It means that we apologize first because we want to put, die to self and guard our marriage so that we don't let anger turn into bitterness that, and then bitterness turn into apathy. Because apathy is when the fire goes out. It means we keep making her laugh. Avoid being passive. Avoid putting things on cruise control and taking things for granted. It's our job as husbands to love your wife like Christ loved the church and loving your wife as you love your own body. It's our job to set an atmosphere of love in our home. Falling in love is easy. Staying in love is the hard part. Adding wood to the fire is the hard part. 
It takes uh, deliberate work to keep the the flames going. And so you know what? There's no grace groups this week. You know how we can put this into practice? You have a free night, husbands, to go home and call a babysitter and plan a date night and cherish your wife. You, you may say, you know, John, gas is really expensive. I get that. You can cook her dinner with candlelight and go pick some flowers from a ditch because they're still pretty. They're free. She won't care as long as she's feeling cherished, y'all. That's what my point is. She won't care. She just wants you to see you planning and trying and pursuing and dating her and making her feel like you made her feel when you started dating her. Husbands, you connect with her emotionally. You love her sacrificially. Her love tank is full. She's being perished. She's seeing you put her needs before her needs. She's going to take care of your needs. Am I right? Women? Ladies? Wives? I heard one amen. (laughs) So a man loves a woman when he sacrificially lays his life down for his wife. Number two, a man loves a woman when he's the spiritual leader of his home. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife. As Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. You know what happened in, in, in Genesis chapter 3? This is something that we talk about in, 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 our, in premarital counseling. Genesis chapter 3, we call it the fallout of the fall. When Adam and Eve sinned. And what happened? It was the fallout. God is in the garden. He's, he's laying out now the curses and the things that this is a result of sin. And, and, and we all remember the part of, well, now wives, childbearing is going to be hard. It's going to be painful. Remember that? Guys, we remember the part that you're going to work and it's going to be thorns and thistles and by the sweat of your brow. And I, I feel that every day of the week. But what we forget is what happened in Genesis 3.16, where after God tells Eve she's going to have pain and childbearing, this is what he says. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. What that means is the marriage relationship is now distorted. What that means is there's a competition now in the marriage relationship is who is going to be the leader. And when the, the lady's desire, the woman's desire, the, the wife's desire is, is, is for her husband. She wants to be head because she looks at him and he, she sees a poor leader. I get that. And, and so to assert himself, he feels like he has to then rule over her. And so you ever see a husband that has a home that's like authoritarian, you know, that everyone walks on eggshells because he's got Napoleon syndrome. And so he, he kind of has to bark orders because he's ruled, the ruler of his household. Both are a result of the fall, not what God is calling us to do, not what the home is supposed to look like. It says, ladies, wives, the Bible uses the word submit here. It means to arrange under. 
It's a, it's a military term that means to fall in rank. And I, and I see a couple husbands going like, you know, elbowing their wife. You listening? Here, here's the point. If marriage is a slow dance, only one person can lead. If both people are trying to lead, it's just not going to work. Right? And, and, I, and I said, I, I get it, ladies. I get it, women. That wise, when, you, when your, your husband isn't the spiritual leader God has called him to be, and, and how do you follow a bad leader? I get it. But can I encourage you with something? Wives, future wives, maybe future disciple makers like the Apostle Paul here that's going to sit down with a friend and, 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 and give some encouragement to her who is struggling with her, her marriage, even though you're single. This is what you can tell her. It says in verse 22, As to the Lord. Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. How can you follow a bad leader? Ultimately, not because your husband is deserving of it, but ladies, you can follow a bad leader because it's an act of worship, because your motive is your love for Jesus Christ. You're not doing it for him. You're doing it for the Lord. What this means, ladies, is that God created men and women with equal value, but different roles. Equal value, but different roles that he has called us to in the home. This doesn't mean that a wife can't run for political office. This doesn't mean that a wife can't be the breadwinner of the family. This doesn't mean that she can't pay the bills and, and, and handle the checkbook. Because God knows that a lot of the ladies, if it wasn't for them, we would be bouncing checks at the IRS. What it means is God's will for your family and God's will for your life is that your husband is the spiritual leader of the house. Paul says, husbands, you are the head of the wife. Head of the home, like Christ, is the head of the church. We can't get around that. But you know what the number one most common prayer request by wives and, and, and the American churches today? Anybody have a guess? That their husbands would be the spiritual leaders of their house. That's the number one prayer request by Christian wives and churches in America today. It's an epidemic. And praise God for the faithful wife who brings her kids to church faithfully every week while her husband's not even here. Praise God for her. Praise God for the, the Loises and the, and the Eunices of the world that, that there would be no Timothys if it wasn't for them stepping up and leading their family. Because the father has abdicated his role. And young lady, before you are getting married, maybe you're dating a guy right now. Can I just say, or you're, you're going to meet a guy down the road. This is what you need to ask yourself. Is this a guy that I can spiritually follow? Is he the leader that God has called him to be of the home? If he's not that before you get married, the odds are he's not going to be that after you get married. The red flags, the problems that you see now spiritually in that person... You ask, you ask the married folks in here. There's more that you haven't seen. 
Lots of men have potential. I think they all have potential. Very few men are filled with the Holy Spirit and know how to walk with Jesus. And know what it means to walk according to the Spirit and to be filled with the Spirit so that they treat you and your house is permeated with love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and gentleness and self-control. That's the key. So loving your wife, a man loves a woman when he's a spiritual leader of his house. And look what happens when you love your wife. It has a sanctifying effect on her. When you love your wife as God loves the church, it has a sanctifying effect, just like his love does for us. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, guess what? You will be made more like Jesus, right? Verse 26, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. You know when you are starting to love your wife like Christ loved the church? It's when she begins to look more like Jesus. She becomes more like Jesus. Look how sanctification happens. It says, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. It's the word of God, right? The word of God. The word of God has a cleansing effect, Grace Church. It has a cleansing effect. For a man to love his wife, he's going to see to it that she hears and is exposed to the Word of God. If she's in an environment where she's out of church and the Word of God is not being preached, he's going to be the spiritual leader and he's going to get her to a church where the Word is preached. He's going to see to it that she's in Bible study, that she's reading their, their, or they're, they're reading their Bible together. You know, something that we used to do when we, me and my wife started to grow after we got married, we would go to Dothan in Panama City, and it was a 45-minute drive. And so you know what we would do? I'd put a sermon on in the car. We started listening to a sermon every time we drove to Dothan or Panama City. It's the Word of God that made my wife become more like Jesus. The, this, guy, this guy, when you plan a, a vacation and you're going to go out of town, he's going to plan where we're going to go to church on Sunday because you can't lead your wife to be more like Jesus and at the same time let her lose her first love. Does your wife look more like Jesus today because she's married to you? Or the way you love her and lead her, is she further away from Jesus? Maybe you're in a dating relationship, or maybe you will be one day and, and, and be thinking, does this, this person that I'm dating, does it, do, do they push me to become a more mature follower, serious follower of Jesus Christ? Or is, is this person pulling me back, making me stumble and, fall in, and we're falling into sin? That should be a, a, a red flag. Because when a man loves a woman, it has a sanctifying effect on her. And when we, husbands and, and, and guys, when we do this, when a man loves a woman like the Bible is saying here, you know what's going to happen? There's going to be some results that are going to happen. The first thing, then the goat will be respected. When I say goat, it means a word that's an abbreviation for the greatest of all time. Like Michael Jordan, he's the goat of basketball. He's the greatest basketball player who ever lived. You got me? I couldn't think of a G word. The goat. 
will be respected. Look at verse 33. Nevertheless, as for you individually, each husband is to love his own wife the same as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Men, how much, do, how much does respect mean to you? If, if love is, is a woman's greatest need, what do you think a, a man's greatest need is? Is that it? You love her like Jesus loved you, you're going to win her heart. She's going to be around her friends. She's not going to tear you down. She's going to be at the city gates bragging about you. Right? She will do in Proverbs good to you all the days of your life and not evil. That's what it says. We're going to take God's word for what it says. That's what it says. You love her like this. That's what you're going to produce a woman because it's going to sanctify her. And she's going to do good to you all the days of your life. And men, at the end of your life, what is better than your wife and your children looking at you and with eyes of respect? That I respect this man. That if you could ask your wife at the end of your life, would you go back and do it again? And she said, absolutely. He was the greatest husband of all time because he showed me what Jesus' love was like. That's how he loved me. He loved me sacrificially. He showed me what Jesus' love is like. Not only will the, the goat will be respected, but lastly, most importantly, then the gospel will be reflected. In verse 31, it says, For this reason, underline this reason. That's important. Paul is quoting from Genesis chapter 2 here. This is actually God said that, saying this in Genesis chapter 2. This is a quote from God, God's own lips. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined or cleave to his, his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then it says that word, this mystery. Verse 32, this mystery and this reason are, are the same. It's talking about the same thing. We see that? A reason why God ordained marriage is a mystery is what Paul is saying from the get-go. Meaning, this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. It's a profound mystery. It's a great mystery. You ever uh, watch Karate Kid? It doesn't matter if it's the newer version uh, with Will Smith's son or the old version with Daniel's son. Okay? You remember what Mr. Miyagi makes Daniel's son do? Wax on, wax off. Wax, right? And the new one is like, put the jacket on, take the jacket off. And it's, it's you know, and he, they, they think they are wasting their time. And what Paul is saying, when God ordained marriage in Genesis chapter 2, up until Ephesians chapter 5, those Old Testament saints didn't really know why God ordained marriage. It was a mystery. They're doing something. God says, a man shall leave his father and mother and, be, and join his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And so they're waxing on, waxing off, but they're not knowing re really why they're doing it. And Paul is now revealing this mystery. See, a mystery is, 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 is still hidden until God's Word reveals it more. 
You remember why Jesus taught in parables? The, 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 when I was a kid, I just remember it, parables are an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, a heavenly point. Can I tell you your marriage is a parable that God is using to tell a lost and dying world the truth of who he is and how much he loves his church? Paul says, I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. One of my best friends, when we first moved over here, gave me a book. And it means a lot to me. Not because it was such a great read, but he wrote a nice note in the beginning of the, the first page. And this is what it said. It was the title of the book was Family Driven Faith. And he's, he's, he's investing in me. And I didn't understand, because when you get married, like, you come from homes like me and Sarah, we didn't really understand why you get married. You just, I want to get married. I don't want to die alone. That was my reason. I love this woman, right? Um, and he wrote, your family will be your greatest witness. And I looked at that, and I'm like, what's he talking? Your family will be your greatest witness. And now I, I, I get it. Because this mystery has been revealed more to me. That marriage is not mainly being about being in love or staying in love. Marriage is mainly about telling the truth about our lives. It's telling the truth about the gospel. When, when, when in a few months... Haley and Troy are going to stand up on their, their wedding day. This sermon doesn't ruin it all. No. Haley and Troy are going to stand up on their wedding day, and they're going to, they're going to repeat some vows. Right? And they're going to say, for better or for worse. You know, when I said that, I didn't quite understand what I was, what I was meaning. But this is what it means. It means if I'm going to love her like Jesus loved me, then when she does something to upset me or hurt my feelings, I can't give her the cold shoulder for four weeks. Because Jesus' love is an unconditional love. For better or for worse, the love doesn't change. When, when they get up and, and one day and they're going to say, in sickness and in health. What they, what they mean is, even if one comes down with cancer, if one has Alzheimer's, if one comes down with a severe battle of depression, I'm not going to leave because Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. And we have to tell a lost and dying world the truth of the gospel through our marriage. That is why God ordained it from the get-go before he ordained anything else. When, 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 when they say, till death do us part, there's a reason they're going to say that. Because, you know what, in heaven, I was talking about this with Mr. Rocky this morning. We're not going to be married in heaven to our spouses. I hope she's my best friend. I hope, I hope you know, I'm next door. 
But the reason why we're not married in heaven is because we're all married to Christ. And our marriages now point to that. And so if you get married for the shallow reason of I'm not in love, that's not a good enough reason to keep you married. It's about the permanent covenant relationship between Christ and the church and God from the beginning of time before anyone understood what he was doing said, you marry this woman because for the next thousands of years, I want this to illustrate how much my son, Jesus Christ, loves his bride. Until then, Grace Church, until that day when we're married to Christ, the wedding supper of the Lamb, the Lord will never give you a command that you cannot obey. He, he will always give you the grace you need to follow through with it. The Spirit of God will work inside of you. If you're a believer, the Spirit of God will work inside of you to, to let you do, to enable you to do what's not natural. To love your wife like Christ loved the church. To, to, to submit to your husband. To respect your husband. And, and this is one of those commands that I, I, I fall way short. If I'm honest, I was going to preach this sermon a year and a half ago. And I went to another text because I was too convicting. Because I know I'm like, I'm so glad my wife is back there today. Because I have two choices. I can either be a hypocrite and act like I got it all together. Or I can be vulnerable and you see the chinks in my armor. If, if someone says they have never had one issue in their marriage and everything's been perfect, I think they're lying to you. Mr. Cliff, am I right? right. Jerry, am I right? Okay. (laughs) But I want want to encourage you before we close. Today we're going to do communion. We're going to do communion because we can't get this right until we get this right. And so I want to encourage you to let the unconditional love of Christ flood your hearts. To experience the love of God, how deep and how wide and how high it is. The Bible doesn't say he just, that he loves you. It says, for God so loved the world. That little word, so, makes a big difference. Now, even when we fail him, when, even we don't want anything to do with him, even when we're selfish and pursuing this world, he still pursues us just like Jonah And he brings us back because he desires intimacy with us. So Grace Church, before you can fix this, we must fix this. Will you stand with me? I'm going to pray for you. Father God, Lord, we come before your throne, God, to tell you you are worthy. Lord, we thank you for how you've demonstrated your love towards us. You have shown us how it is to love. You came, you came and, 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 and at one point stripped down and put a towel on and washed your disciples' feet to show us what love looks like. And God, I, I know there are people here this morning that we've had it all wrong. 
God, I just I pray for your grace. Lord, the reality that nothing we can do to make you love us more, or not, there's nothing we can do for you to make us uh, to love us less, it, it's because you, you love us as much as you love your own son, and we thank you for that. And God, we need, we need your help. These commands are impossible unless you fill us and make us more into the person you called us to be. And so I pray for our, our people here, married, single, whoever, the people of God, Lord, will you fill them with your spirit so that the relationships they have in their life, whether it's parents, whether it's spouses, whether it's children, whether it's difficult co-workers, Lord, that the answer is the same. We need to be filled with the spirit of God. And I pray that you would do this now, Lord. We ask this in your holy name we pray. Amen. Before we sing the song, we're going to come up and everyone, how we do it, the, 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 the bread and the grape juice is over here on the table. You come. You don't have to be a member at Grace Church. We do ask you to be a believer in Jesus Christ. We, we're going to invite you to come and take, partake and, and, and go back to your seat and take a moment and reflect about the great love of God for you. You know, the gospel isn't just something that you believed when you first came to Christ. It's something that we need all in this, this room right now. Because no matter how poorly we've obeyed Ephesians chapter 5, Romans 5, 8 is still true. That Christ demonstrates his love. That while we were still yet sinners, not because of uh, how well we've obeyed, but while we were still yet sinners, he died for us. To show us his love. Aren't you glad Jesus' love for the church is unconditional? That there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus doesn't want you feeling guilty or ashamed. Can I tell you what he wants? He wants you in your heart. And when he looks at you on the authority of God's word, according to Ephesians chapter 5, can I tell you, he doesn't see the mess that we've made, the things that we've done as in the past is covered by the blood of Christ. What he sees is the person he's making you to be, a holy, spotless bride without wrinkle or stain. And one day he's going to present you to himself with great joy in heaven at the wedding supper of the Lamb. And so as you come, this is his body that was broken for you. This is his blood that was spilled for you. The Bible says, do this in remembrance of me. Remember how much he loves you. Grace Church, I invite you to come and partake.